What is up, beautiful Dynasty Leaguers? Welcome back to the Dynasty Dynamic. I'm your host, Max Cascoms, joined by the man who's flashing the bat signal for Baker Mayfield, a.k.a. the Run DMC, a.k.a. Mr. Dan McAuliffe, and the man who started a new Dynasty League and refuses to let me in it. I'm talking about <laughs> at bad. DFF Moose, a.k.a. Mr. Mike McAuliffe. Gentlemen, how are we doing tonight? Not too shabby. Doing good. Get to uh, let the the listeners know here. We're we're talking about the big five zero with uh, this episode, right? <laughs> Holy crap! That's a that's awesome. That is that's a cool milestone. I think when we were starting this thing uh, years ago, uh, we 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 didn't know where it was going to take us. We didn't know how long we were going to be sticking with it. We didn't know the future. So to be here uh, now with a new addition with Mike, uh, my younger brother, oh, yeah, into the mix here too. It's it's cool. It's a it's a cool feeling to be recording this one. That's right. I mean, I'm I'm real glad that I've gotten involved in this with you guys. You definitely uh, built something. It takes a you know I have to take a leap to to start a project like this and then see where it takes you. And clearly, it has uh, definitely been been going on the up and up for the last last few uh, couple of years. So, I love it. I like that we are already off the show notes because <laughs> I probably should have thought about doing this. But sixty second history of how this podcast even got started is. In the early days for all of us, Dan and I would have like these two to three hour phone conversations about how we valued players, guys that we thought were underrated, overrated. And eventually I was just like, hey, man, why don't we throw some microphones in front of our faces and see if we're (laughs) any good at this? And it turns out we weren't. So (laughs) we recorded three episodes that will never see the light of day unless, you know, whatever people want to pay us for them someday, uh, (laughs) which you shouldn't. But and then, yeah, we, we officially, you know, launched one and got it going. But Dan's right. We had no idea if this was going to be a thing, how long it was going to last. And, and here we are, episode 50. Right. So not too got, a, got a fun, different type of show queued up tonight. We have never done this. And I figured we talk about players every single time. I wanted to reflect back on Dynasty careers. We've been doing this show for almost two exactly. years now uh, publicly. And I play in a bunch of leagues with you guys. I play in a bunch of leagues without you guys. And I figured, let's just talk. Let's just reflect. So we got some fun questions queued up. Um, but before we get to the fun stuff, tweet of the week, at Ethan Burt, at Ethan underscore Burt TV. We will post that on Twitter and get it in the show description. And let's just jump right into the fun stuff. There's no way to reflect before I can ask this question. A question I already know the answer to. <laughs> so, it's Mike, fair. I'm going to let you lead it off. How did you get into Dynasty Fantasy Football? The origin story. <laughs> I recall, um, I, I mean, I, I always played redraft leagues uh, when I was, you know, younger in, in high school and everything, going through college. But I definitely remember um, having you hit us up and, and letting us know you guys got to go. This is the next level of fantasy football. If you really want to get into it, this is what you have to be in. So, Max, I give all the credit to you. I've got, I'm just going to give it to you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, let's let's think. For myself, um, I was barely into fantasy football at the time. And then I just, I, I just jumped into the deep end for most of this. Because I had done maybe one or two years of redraft at best. Um, to be honest, heck, I... I didn't, I was, growing up, I mean, between uh, the three of us, 
probably the least sports fan-esque, at least when it came to football. We'd be watching in Thanksgiving, like everyone's kind of hanging out. Max, you'd be rattling off random stats of players that were like four <laughs> stringers, didn't even know. Mike, <laughs> you already changed. had all of the players memorized by name. Um, <laughs> and I was just there for the turkey, right? So now, um, kind of full fell swoop, I, I started to take up uh, fantasy football because uh, I had done baseball, actually, and it was like, holy crap, who's setting lineups like this all the time? Big no thank you. Yeah. So at least stuck with football. And then I think two years into it, finally, Max um, had just kind of brought up, hey, you should consider this dynasty thing. If you like this, why uh, it allows you to do it all the time. And so then I decided to, uh, to pick it up more than anything, just as a cool like way for us to stay in touch, right? Like all of us, kind of our different walks of life and stuff, we've always grew up being really close to one another but it was really fun to have this extra connection point and look where it brought us now right <laughs> to, to from one league being in it with each other to now having a podcast with each other so it is really cool to now seeing that that full uh, tilt uh, and it definitely helped me hone my uh, fantasy skills because I think in the early days of redraft, I was taking kickers in the fifth round. I was doubling, <laughs> tripling down on quarterbacks. So Defenses. A lot of lessons. <laughs> defense. Defense all the way. Exactly. You got to snag it in the second or third round before they're gone. All the good ones are going to be gone by then. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's kind of the story of uh, how I got into Dynasty uh, and uh, wouldn't change it for anything. It's been really fun. You guys are throwing me off my rhythm this show. I expected one <laughs> sentence each that was like, Max got me into Dynasty, uh, which, is, which is basically yeah, that's how it happened. Otherwise, I a lot of fluff for that meaning, yeah. <laughs> I, I love I love the full, uh, full explanation. And yeah, I mean, to hit on something Dan said, which again, not planned. Uh, a lot. We'll see how this show goes. It could go off the rails very quickly. <laughs> um, the relationships you build in Dynasty Leagues are awesome. Like, I mean, it has brought me even closer to some of my close friends, giving us more to talk about, more to stay in touch about. And like, I've made some great friends and and met so many new faces playing in these yeah. leagues over the years, right? And so I think that's such a fun part of it too. Um, but how did I get into Dynasty? Because I was the one that got you guys into it. There's more right? of a story here. Mm -hmm. So I, as you said, Dan, have always been a massive NFL junkie and growing up played way too much madden um all the way up through college shout out to uh cody Emond, probably the greatest madden partner a guy could ask for i think uh we we had a lot of online uh dominance back in the day and but we also loved franchise mode right where you get to do a fantasy draft with all the players in the pool build your team the way you wanted and you know if you wanted to be strong on the O-line and, and just slam the ball with Ricky Williams all day, you could do that. <laughs> or if you wanted Michael Vick to just throw the ball all over the yard, you could do that too. And I just love this idea of this fresh tabula rasa like start, right? You get to build yeah. the team any way you want to. And so that was always huge for me. And started. I got into fantasy football late and it was the end of college. And my friends were like, man, you're obsessed with this. You should play fantasy football. And so I started to. And after a few years of running leagues, I kept, I don't even know how I heard about the concept of dynasty people. I heard about keeper leagues and then they were like, Oh, dynasty, you keep everyone. I'm like, that sounds awesome. But I was running a bunch of leagues at the time and shout out to the man. He's been on this show before and potentially one of our biggest, if not our biggest fans, uh, Wes, none of us would be here without Wes. Yep. Wes true. and Thank I you, got Wes. talking. <laughs> Wes and I got talking about Dynasty. And I was like, listen, man, I really want to start one of these leagues, but like I manage all these other ones. I don't know if I have the time and I won't pretend to remember how the conversation bent, but we were just like, what if, what if we do it together? What if we co-manage a league? And 
He brought six people. I brought six people total. And that's how we all got hooked. And now I'm in way too many leagues, both with you guys and other people. And, but like Dan said, it's a blast. And I think that if you're going to be in one league, you might as well be in five because it's going to take some research. It's going to take some homework and why not figure out different strategies and fun ways to play the game. So now that the origin stories are out of the way, we're going to start with a very simple question. Mike, who is your most rostered player across all of your dynasty leagues? Yeah, so thinking this one over, it's not too difficult for me to identify because at this point I am in two different dynasty leagues, um, one that started in 2018, one that started just last year. And uh, it was actually, I think, my first ever rookie pick um, was Kyler Murray. And at that point, I kind of just fell in love. I think the only reason I took him is because Andrew Luck had retired. So I kind of, it was before, we weren't a super flex league um, yet in that league. So I was like, do I take QB here? Ended up going with it. And then, you know, I just love his play style. I love watching him on the field. So I ended up um, in our other dynasty league, ended up targeting him in a trade. And then I do have him in a keeper league as well. So I guess that somewhat counts, but Kyler's definitely my boy. He's probably probably the one that I can say I, I put my flag down for uh, in most of my dynasty leagues. There we go. Dan, I know the answer, but tell the people at home. Who Just your if most you're a first-time listener, <laughs> first-time caller, know. <laughs> and don't know this. If, if, and if this is your first episode, I'm sorry. You're probably going to be very confused. But uh, Tyler Boyd, the man who would be a wide receiver one on any other team if it wasn't the Bengals <laughs> who have so many good wide receivers. I uh, love him. He was just uh, someone that I, for whatever reason, it was still like one league and I was just really in love with Tyler Boyd. I don't know why. I don't know why I, I got hyped on him, but I'm glad I was because I at least got to preach uh, from the mountaintop and let people know he was undervalued for a couple years uh, and probably still is given where he is now on a, on a team that's going to be thrown a lot. Uh, so he's my my most rostered, but then I have a, a close tie with the others. A very relevant right now, Baker Mayfield, of which I was crying so into relevant, a lot of shares. Exactly, Hopefully not relevant. relevant in new <laughs> sense. Hopefully, more relevant from a football standpoint. Uh, was crying into a lot of those shares, hoping I see a little bounce back. Still believe in them, and we're gonna see what happens. And then to round it out, uh, AJ Brown, uh, another guy that I've been uh, pounding the table for for a good while now. Uh, I'm very excited to see what he does with one Jalen Hurts. Uh, so that kind of rounds up my trifecta for the most rostered guys in Dynasty. For me, it should also be no surprise if you listen to the show. It's Cam Akers. Talked about him on our first ever episode of the Dynamic that went public. And uh, yeah, close second, Christian Kirk. Uh, I own a Christian Kirk jersey. I'm a huge yes, fan. <laughs> and, uh, I own a boy, exactly. <laughs> there you go. I'm, I'm hoping he can make some noise in uh, Jacksonville this year. Um, Love it. So now that we have the simple stuff out of the way, let's get into the complex. This really takes some time staring in the mirror for these questions. So, right. Mike, I'm going to tee you up again first. What is the hardest lesson? that you've had to learn over the years playing in dynasty leagues. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we talk about sometimes joke about on this show that I can definitely be more of the, uh, win now leaning, uh, guy on this show, which definitely has led to some rash decisions here and there. Um, definitely the thing that I've, I've learned, especially honestly, like I said, I've, I've only been playing in dynasty leagues for about three years now. This will be heading into my fourth season. So, um, I've kind of this offseason, I've learned just how much you need to factor in win now. If you're going to make some sort of win now trade, 
you have to make sure that you are not setting yourself up to hate your past self. And when you look at back at a trade and you just, you know, especially deadline trades, I feel like a lot of times for people that are trying to push in for that last final piece and they, you know, you overpay to get a guy that's currently in a great situation. I'll give an example of last season. And, you know, this is, it was an awful move. And I definitely, uh, definitely have, have learned from it. I've traded T Higgins away for Darrell Henderson in a second rounder, because in that moment, I needed a running back horribly bad. And Darrell Henderson was in a great situation, but anyone with a, you know, and I knew it going for it, going into that trade, that that could definitely, the very next offseason, I could very well end up regretting that because it has future implications where you have Cam Akers coming back and everyone knew that. So you have to trust your gut a little bit more if it feels like crappy to give away a young asset that a lot of people anticipate being on the rise that next year you gotta trust your gut you gotta realize you know is this worth it right now i've definitely learned how to to pare it back a little bit not be willing to give up that young guy for the very short-term asset i like that understand the fact that if you don't walk away dynasty titles last forever listen if you had gotten the title you would have been very happy with yourself for that trade that was the goal But, but no exactly but it didn't happen unfortunately and you have to understand that range of outcomes of if i do this and i don't win how do i feel about my roster so dan i'm gonna flip it to you hardest lesson you've learned in dynasty yeah this is this is probably playing off mike a little bit here and it's continuing to talk about when you're a contender right like let's let's take it back for a moment you just made the point Dynasty championships and titles are forever. That's why we play this, whether it be for the glory, for the money, whatever it is. So I'm never a fan of telling people, oh, constantly be in a rebuild and constantly be playing for second place. That's not what we're aiming to do. We're aiming to help everyone win their dynasty leagues. But in my experience, I've found it is not a good idea to spend big to become a contender, especially, and I really do mean spend big, push some chips in early in the off season. There is so much that goes on uh, in the remainder of the offseason, whether it's um, the first few weeks of preseason games, um, where you see some things shake out that you didn't think were going to shake out that way. You see vets all of a sudden that you thought were going to be the lead uh, when it came to carries or targets all of a sudden get outshined by this rookie that no one expected, an undrafted um, guy there. So you're not going to have the full picture of, of who's doing what. And honestly, you won't even have that until probably the first few weeks of the season. There's always someone that either gets injured or someone that rises up the ranks and starts taking carries or, or targets away from a vet that you were paying up for. You don't know and you can't predict the future. So what I tend to find now is start the season off. See where you vet out. Because honestly, your team might be a lot better than you actually thought to begin with and you didn't have to pay up for it. And if you did end up paying up for someone in the offseason, and especially if you gave away your own first in the process because you thought with this move, now you're a contender, if for whatever reason that doesn't shake out, you are in such a tough spot. You don't control your own destiny. You're staring at your roster every single time being like, I'm not winning this year and I can't help myself next year. It's a hard place to be in. So I'm all about if you have the opportunity to become a contender, as Mike said, make some decisions that you're not going to be like holding against yourself later on. But that's why there's a trade trade deadline. See how you do in the first few weeks. Find some cheap pieces to help you piece it together, and then make that push in 
at the trade deadline area when you have at least a little bit more insights into where your pick falls and how your team's going to come together. Because I have made a few moves where I'm making all these moves in the offseason, especially because you're bored and especially because there's there's so much movement during that time. Don't fall victim to boredom and trying to push in too early because it really can bite you later on. Man, you hit on a couple things that I want to touch on really quick. I knew this would sure. happen with this episode. Right. Off the um, rails, I don't care. First thing, do not be the guy with the crystal ball, okay? Do yep. not sit there and say, I'm trading for this player's first rounder because it's going to be top three next year. I have seen, I have fallen on my face on that, doing it so many times. I've learned the lesson. I don't do it anymore. And I've seen so many other people project and fall on their face because to Dan's point, a lot changes during the season. Uh, and honestly, I already forgot the second point I was going to make. So we're just going to move on to my point, which is <laughs> hardest lesson that I had to learn. This was tough to boil down and you guys took some good ones. Um, for me, you know, we're a pretty analytics focused shop at the dynamic. We're not hardcore as hardcore as, as some other uh, Twitter heads and uh, other podcasts are out there. But I think my hardest lesson was do not get lost in the analytics. Like it is one thing some of these metrics are so powerful to look at breakout age or dominator rating or the athleticism at certain positions. But when you start overcomplicating things, you can really, really find a stat to prove whatever point you're trying to make about a given player. And if you're citing breakout age or dominator, that's fine. But if we're talking about, and I'm totally making this up, expected air yards over expected or something like that, or, you know, unrealized air yards over expected like that is where you just get to the point where is the player good or not let's start yeah. there right let's work on the fundamentals and then if a player's good and there's some analytics underlying that maybe show that you know the opportunity wasn't fully there or due to quarterback play or the offense something wasn't fully realized but that's one for me because whether it's player profiler which we all use all the time fantasy pros, nfl.com, next gen stats, all that stuff. You can really get lost in the data and and you know lose sight of the bigger picture, which is is this guy getting touches? Is he putting up points for my team and is that going to continue to happen? So, totally. No, I love I, it. There's Yeah, I'd say that's the hardest lesson that I've had to learn. Cuz there's a stat for everything now. Absolutely everything. everything. Literally. And so there's always going to be something that you can scrounge up that that almost gives you some false hope on a player that you should have given up long ago, or there's no stats on a guy that should be on your radar all along because you got to trust your gut and you got to watch the tape and all that stuff. So I I'm, I'm totally with you there. Yeah. So skewing negative for a moment. Here. Let's, <laughs> let's, uh, let's put the hindsight goggles on Mike. What was your, if you had to point out a single one, <laughs> Uh, biggest mistake that you've made in a dynasty. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, go right over to to not understanding the importance of of draft capital for a running back um, <laughs> that is in the league, and and definitely, I think that the the biggest mistake that I have made uh, thus far um, was right at the beginning of of my dynasty career, where I took uh, Alex Collins as a fourth round uh, draft pick. He was coming off of a uh, season where he finished uh, 17th overall, I think in 2017 or so. So, um, you know, looked like he could be a decent option, uh, not necessarily at the at the fourth round there, but he was a little bit younger at the time too. But I think he ended up finishing that year as the RB40. 
missed the whole next season because of I think he got caught on gun and drug charges <laughs> so that was definitely I think at that point I might have decided to drop him um, and then yeah Alex Collins did not necessarily go on to do anything um, of huge significance I think his next uh, two seasons RB 94 and RB 62 so <laughs> uh, okay. definitely probably that it's tough in a startup when especially your first one where you yeah you just end up using a, a top pick on a guy that just ended up really contributing nothing you just have to learn how to pivot off that so um i ended up doing so and have done pretty well in that league since but that was not a good start and and that you know your first dynasty league i feel like you're a creature of the rankings that are put in front of you right so i'm sure that where he was oh god totally (laughs) i'm sure that where he was appropriately ranked but to bring this back to lessons that we continue to talk about on this show i mean beware of guys that put up pockets of production and are then top startup rounds, yeah, you know, a couple right. years later, whether it's draft capital or just really not putting it together for a full season. Uh, Dan, you look like you wanted to jump in there. I, I was just going to say, now I understand you just wanted to take our money at the beginning when we were getting us into this dynasty thing. You're having us. St- <laughs> I took David Johnson in the first golden Tate in the third Jordan Howard in the second. Oh my. Ew, I was oh, all over. Place, I do remember so. your love for Jordan Howard. <laughs> AB went crazy right wild. after I took him as a second times, Exactly. <laughs> the fact that we're still here talking about Dynasty after these these initial drafts that we had in that startup, my We've goodness. been hurt. <laughs> Things change. Winning a Dynasty League is hard. There's so much exactly. that's out of your control. You Seriously. know, that's why we do preach focus on the fundamentals, have a good understanding of these landscapes, and uh, go get yourself some titles. But, Dan, to flip it to you, yes. biggest mistake in a Dynasty League. Biggest mistake in the Dynasty League, I think, um, I've learned on multiple occasions, so I just got kind of got this blanket statement of trading away players because of their current situation. I feel like I, I've learned my lesson early and, and am less inclined to do that. Um, and I'll actually even say current situation also potentially even being the way that your league is set up. And I'll, I'll explain what I, I mean by that in a second. But by current situation especially when it comes to rookies, you get so hyped on all these talents leading up to a draft. Then they maybe get drafted into a not great or not ideal situation. Uh, And then they start to just lose their luster over that offseason, right? Like you were so hyped on them in the beginning and then you start to look at your roster and then there's camp hype that comes up and some third string dude is starting to do really good and you're like, should I drop this rookie that I I fell in love with even uh, leading up to the draft? And then all of a sudden you start to make some changes. Example here is Jalen Hurts for me, right? Like I'm super hyped on the kid, had the chance to keep him, uh, get him in the third round of our... um, uh, of our draft and then along the way there was some other camp hype I think I got Latavius Murray because uh, Kamara was hurt and I ended up dropping him for Latavius Murray or, or made a trade or something where I had to make that decision and um, sure enough let Jalen Hurts go Mr. Max picks him up and is able to, uh, <laughs> to utilize him later down the line for his season um, so don't let it, the th- same things happened with Nick Chubb uh, when he was going to the Browns and sitting behind some vets. It, it's, it happens every year. Take the guys that you believe in and sit on them. They're an investment. They're not going to blossom. And honestly, a lot of times uh, we get really spoiled with wide receivers that hit immediately, running backs that get drafted as a bell cow immediately. For any of the other ones that you're talking about, second, third round, you need to wait on them. You need to have that patience. Uh, so make sure you do and stick to your guns because that's important. Just the second part of what I'm saying here, too, is 
there's ways that your league can change a little bit too. So also make sure that you're kind of planning on that. You might only have one flex spot and your um, league votes to then add another flex spot. And all of a sudden, your depth is more important. Um, we were a one quarterback league when I dropped uh, Jalen Hurts. And then during that year, we voted to make it super flex. I was like, ah, well, <laughs> that, that stinks and that stinks, but it happens. So, so don't let your league rules dictate everything about how you're you're setting up your roster because there's always going to be changes that come about um i'm not saying that it's always going to happen but there's always times that people vote to make little changes along the way and you need to adapt with those too so don't let the current situation of your league also dictate the types of players that you're going to be holding on to because there still can be great value in making sure that you hold on to players that you truly believe in Fantastic point there. And I do, I'm just going to keep finding things to, to hammer home. Um, the league that Dan and I play in where he dropped Hertz and I grabbed him. Um, we did make that change. And I want to just spell this out for everybody at home. If you are looking to transition to a super flex league, do not do it overnight. Um, yeah. And Dan, I won't remember the timeline and how it worked out. So I'm not going to say who's to blame here, but Every league that we've transitioned from single quarterback to Superflex, I believe we gave at least two or three years notice. Um, yep. Now, was that maybe in year two voted to be bumped up and overruled by majority? Yeah, I think that happened in one of our leagues. I can't remember how it all played out. But, I mean, that, like, if you want to flip on tight end premium, whatever. If you're going to go from single QB to Superflex, like, you need to give people time because yeah. that drastically alters how people Agreed. approach startups totally. and certain positions. That's so the pinnacle just another of the little piece change. of, yeah that's, yeah, that's a smart call out. Just another little piece of wisdom from the dynamic here. So, <laughs> uh, I just put in the show notes. So you guys have no idea what I'm about to say here. Uh, this is labeled Jamarcus rustling my second draft. <laughs> so this is my biggest mistake. And you know, there's only one way to learn this, right? So the first ever dynasty league, that we put together. I went in with a plan, having built many a Madden franchises, leaning on my Madden experience that I was like, everybody's going to try to win in year one. And I don't want to do that. So I did have some foresight on like how to build dynasty rosters. So I was like, I'm going to skew young. It just so happens that that year, I believe outside the top hundred picks, I was able to hit on a player named Alvin Kamara and a player named Juju Smith Schuster as rookies. And all of a sudden, my long-term plan came to fruition in year one because I won that league year one. And I was like, I'm Ooh, amazing nice. at this. I'm better than <laughs> everybody else at Dynasty. All this Madden experience has gotten me here. And so I went into my second league draft. And I was like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Just go for the same thing. And I was gunning for rookies and unproven players. And I just, what got me there wasn't going to get me there again. And so that for me was a big lesson learned where it was just like, there's so many things that need to go right. And so much variation year to year in the NFL that just because it worked for you once, like make sure you question the strategy behind it. I definitely at that time did not have nearly a grasp of like player archetypes and like how these guys project and what matters in college and go into the NFL. I just happened to smash the draft button on a couple of the right guys and take home the championship in year one. And so I would caution everybody, whether you've had, whether it's success or, you know, the other way around where you've been losing, like make sure that you're looking at the fundamentals of your strategy, right? Whether it's worked out for you or hasn't, um, 
you, you might be surprised. So that was that was my Jamarcus rustling of my second ever startup. <laughs> like Still it. did okay that year. Did okay, but like plenty of mistakes were made. Plenty of mistakes were made. <laughs> so um, to flip it positive, biggest win, the biggest pot you raked over, <laughs> stacked the chips on your side of the table. Mike, what has been your biggest or savviest move in a dynasty league? Yeah, this, this one was tough for sure, but I think this one was definitely the most satisfying for just how it ended up um, playing out, at least for myself last year, and it's still looking pretty good uh, to this day. So I ended up, I think it was last offseason, I shipped off um, MT, Michael Thomas, for Mike Williams, a future second, 2023 second, um, and Gus Edwards. So... That portion of the trade definitely it was I think it was like a couple weeks after I had made that trade that Gus Edwards immediately went down with an injury, so it was tough there. But definitely the most satisfying based off of the league reaction, seeing, you know, it's kind of the perfect example of how people will view, especially like if you're looking back at last offseason, people viewed Michael Thomas as the still a top ten receiver. It's just a quick off the field problem. You're an idiot if you sell low on him right now. Uh, and you know, I didn't anticipate that it was going to carry over until this year that he's legit still not on the practice field, but even with all of last year, everyone was like, yeah, he'll come back week eight. Um, you know, definitely it's going to be fine. But I think I just, um, I, I had Keenan Allen that league, wanted to back him up with, a, uh, with someone else in case he got hurt. And I wanted to be able to punch my ticket to the, uh, Mike Williams fifth year breakout show where he, uh, I think he ended up being a, a top 10 wide receiver. So it just worked out really well. It was satisfying. Um, Cause I had a good feeling about it at the time and definitely got a lot of flack for it. So it was good. It was this, satisfying. This is why also, and hopefully I'm assuming you guys, you could just nod if you back me up here, we preach no vetoes in these leagues, yep. right? Because yep. if you're going by fantasy pros or keep trade cut or rankings du jour, those might've told Mike that he's getting fleeced, but Mike is a savvy fantasy guy. Like I know I trust Mike to make the right moves and if you're going to do vetoes, it has to be set up and you, you got to know that you're, it's a slippery slope, right? Once a trade is vetoed, uh, you know, that's Definitely. that's where it gets crazy. But we have competition committees in some of our leagues, right? It's little three-man committees. They can get together, talk about things. But yep. I am all for no vetoes with the caveat, get everybody, you know, pay a year or two in advance right. for their team in case uh, doesn't doesn't pan out the way they yeah, think it put does. Put your money where your mouth is. Yeah, I do like that for sure. Yeah. So, Dan, biggest win in a dynasty league. Yes. All right. I'm going to travel back a couple years to week one, 2020. You have the uh, the pass-catching god, Naheem Hines, puts up 27 <laughs> points in the week one with Jonathan Taylor. So, 27 points, two touchdowns. It's on fire. Absolutely on fire. Jonathan Taylor, the, the hot new rookie, comes in, puts up a meager 11 points, and everyone's Chump. freaking out. Clearly, Naheem Hines is, is the RB1 in this system. He's going to be, I think it was, it was uh, Anthony Lynn, did he come over that way? And it's like, he's the new Eckler. He's coming in. He's going to be the one who's catching all these passes, and it's going to be amazing. Meanwhile, you have T. Higgins, who I, I believe was injured or even maybe saw the field a little bit, puts up a gooser. Absolutely no points there. So you have someone who, again, week one is the week of overreactions. Always is, always has been. And so there's this really 
interesting opportunity to be able to capitalize on someone overreacting uh, and be able to take advantage of someone maybe undervaluing another player. So in this instance, I was able to take Naheem Hines and ship him off for one T Higgins. And that is probably the best move that I've ever been able to make. And this is this is <laughs> a, 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 a league that is very competitive there. Uh, so it was very interesting to just be able to see. But again, everyone's going to have their their own valuations at a certain time. Now, he might still proven to be a, a, a valuable flex play as it is. But getting T Higgins out of that was uh, was by far one of the best things that I was able to do uh, in recent dynasty history. Yeah, T. Higgins was like a second-round rookie pick that year. But Dan, uh, Mike, Dan has told us this league's competitive like 10 times before the show, and I'm still <laughs> not convinced. Only because, only because it's becoming a question. Just rolling my eyes for those that will never see our faces. Um, so my biggest win was already spoiled. Jalen Hurts was free everywhere his rookie year. Uh, and in Superflex leagues – he was like a second round pick, sometimes back of the second round. And in, in, in uh, single quarterback leagues, absolutely forget about it. And for me, this was just, I'm going to try to keep some common threads here. Like this was just lean on the profile, lean on the fundamentals. Yep. He was such an accomplished quarterback at Alabama. And people forget that it was one decision Nick Saban made one time in that championship game. Tua comes in. All of a sudden, it's all tank for Tua. Jalen Hurts banished to Oklahoma. Prolific rusher. Fantastic passer throughout all his time in college. And I just looked at it, and I'm like, he's free or ridiculously cheap. And I've never thought Carson Wentz was that good. And I will... I will dig it up. I had a great little uh, tweet thread to nobody that year on Twitter of just Jalen Hurts watch week one, Jalen Hurts watch <laughs> week two, electric boogaloo, all kinds of <laughs> nicknames for the Jalen Hurts watch. But um, yeah, I mean, I have cashed in a lot on Jalen Hurts and, you know, I know there's been some uncertainty with his contract and situation. And is he the long-term answer? I think he's in a great position this year. And if you made me pick right now, I think there's a great, great chance that Jalen Hurts is the future of that franchise. But we yeah, will save like that for another for show. <laughs> Last one, gentlemen. Make it count. If your strategy has changed for Dynasty, if at all, I hope it has. We're all learning together here. That's right. Uh, if your strategy's changed over the years, Mike, tell us how it's changed. Yeah, I would. I would say, you know, historically i've definitely always leaned a bit more uh when now i've never taken that from the ground up uh you know produ productive struggle kind of approach to a startup or anything so um i've always been interested in doing that that has not changed but the one thing that i definitely think um i have placed a bit more importance on over the last year or so is just trying to target guys that are on good offenses or on offenses that you can really anticipate taking off because you know we have you know there's a lot of younger guys that people will love their their profile they'll love their makeup and in what they have shown on the field you know like it's a specifically a guy that i could give an example for is like a guy like um elijah moore right now where everyone knows that the talent is there the the profile is there but you know you have to anticipate what's this jeff jets offense going to look like i would rather tear off go off of him and you know trade for a guy that's in that similar tier maybe you tear down or you tear up so you're either giving up a pick or or getting a pick um to go for a player that's on an offense that you feel much more excited about with higher upside um you know it's just it's frustrating when you go into a season you face um you know players 
who are if race, uh, you know, teammates or, or league mates who have players that are just in these high powered offenses. And you're like, you know, why didn't I think to maybe like package something up to get this guy when they were, you know, low being valued low, like a Joe Mixon type, like going into last year where it's like clear as day, at least to me being a Joe Burrow believer going into last year, clear as day that like he was a go get him type of player and, um, you know, scoring all those touchdowns. So I've definitely learned to where I can move off of guys that I don't believe in the offense itself, whether it's, you know, going and getting an older guy or not is league dependent, but uh, that's definitely where I've pivoted towards doing that more often now. Yeah. These things, these things are flexible. I mean, just because you trade a player away, doesn't mean you can't go back and get them. And just because, you know, it's, it's kind of a year to year proposition. I don't want to spoil Dan or mine too much. So Dan, I will, I will flip it to you. I've played in a lot of leagues with you. I've done this podcast with you for two plus years. Uh, Let's hear it. How has your strategy changed? So taking a look, I think, again, for anyone who's listened over the course of time might already have a a general sense of like my strategy has always been I've leaned on production a little bit more than potential, right? So I wouldn't say that I'm always ending up uh, on a win now situation. I, I tend to be fairly balanced, but when I'm choosing people, I don't tend to have rookies higher than someone who's done it once or twice. Um, so I would usually say like at the start, I was almost like 80, 20, it was almost kind of like rookie averse and risk averse in that sense. And just making sure that I had people that I trusted, um, that were, were producers usually didn't mean that they were older, but I did need to see some of that kind of previous production to feel good about having them on my team. And I'd say, especially through some of your influence there, Max, I've leaned a little bit more on potential because to be honest, um, it's the cheapest way to be able to get the next big talent. And that's what I've started to really understand and know. And I kind of even knew that early on. Uh, If you're risk averse, then just like uh, investing with the portfolio or anything, then you miss out on those big wins, those big gains. So I've tried to find a way to diversify a little bit, to lean a little bit more on my gut feeling around some rookies and to be able to be willing to sell early or sell high on a guy um, to be able to get uh, a chance at some younger and new assets. Because I've seen now what happens when you have a Todd Gurley. I've seen what happens when you have a Christian McCaffrey. The guys who everyone's deeming are untouchable until they're actually untouchable the other way. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it's kind of wild to see that swing in these careers. And I, I just, especially over the past few years, I think I've, I've started to see that a little bit more. So I'm still... Bird in hand is worth twice in the bush. Uh, worth more than two in the bush type of thing. Um, but I still feel like I'm now maybe more like 60% production, 40% potential when it comes to how I'm looking to structure things and like my risk uh, portfolio uh, for Dynasty because you do need to take those big swings. You do need to find your edge wherever possible. And it sometimes leans on the, the answers that aren't there yet with rookies, uh, situations that they're in or picks that you're taking that you're hoping have some nice upside. I, I gave you guys a little preview on the show notes of what I was going to say here. Now I'm just completely throwing it out the window because Dan touched on a lot <laughs> of great stuff there. First thing I would say is Dan and I have like brought each other to the median. Like I yep. was all, I mean, I already told you the story of Jamarcus rustling my way through my second dynasty league, right? Like <laughs> I was, I am God at picking rookies. I'm so good at this. I'm always going to be good at this. And then I've had some wake up calls and you know, me bringing Dan from his side, Dan bringing me from my side. Like, yeah. I think we are both now 
building. I probably still skew maybe a little younger and more rookie heavy than Dan, but like building some really good balanced rosters that can win now and in the future. Um, I think to round this out, I have a few things that I've really adjusted. So that, that roster construction thing is big. Um, but I'll give you three big ones. One is just understanding historical trends, right? Getting a feel for, and this is going to play into the second one, these archetypes of players and how they have projected to the NFL over time. You know, one of the reasons I was not a big Devonta Smith guy, uh, and I, I got fooled by the second round with Rondell Moore, right? Another uh, undersized <laughs> Uber <laughs> talent, but at least I'd missed on the first, you know? So it was one of those things where I was like, guys this small just historically don't succeed in the NFL. And to Dan's point, you know, the, the risk aversion, it's like, you got to understand that those things are risky. Like all rookies yeah. are risky picks. Yeah. And then when you layer on historical success rates and it looks even riskier, <laughs> Hey Phoebe. Um, and uh, don't worry, we'll leave, we'll leave that in the podcast. Dan. Um, <laughs> And then when you layer in the historical trends, like you start to really paint a picture of what things could look like. And, you know, that that's where for me, like understanding the historical trends, putting player, I'll give you a great example, right? Najee Harris. We never really got the athleticism measurables on him. I don't need to know how athletic Najee Harris is. I watched him be a beast at Alabama for four years. He can run. He's going to get goal line work. He can catch the ball and he can pass protect. Like he's going to be amazing in the NFL. No 40 time outside of him running like a five ten would have put me off Najee Harris because he is the successful archetype of a three down back in the NFL, right? It's kind of the same reason that I'm off James cook a little bit is like mm -hmm. he projects to me as one of those PPR guys that you can never figure out when to put in your lineup. Is this going to be a James cook week? I have no idea. Um, and that, that was kind of a big eye opener for me. And then I think probably the biggest thing that goes into the roster construction is after you understand those things, understand where the positional leverage is. Like it's no secret and it, but it's double true in dynasty. Like running backs are hard to find. You can go to your dynasty waiver wire and find wide receivers that'll put up productive numbers for you that season. Outside of injuries where nobody has the backup roster, good luck finding that in the running yeah. back game. And you, it's a running joke on this podcast and in all of our leagues that I punt the tight end position historically because outside of the top three guys, I just don't see a difference. I will, whatever, take the hit of one and a half points per game from tight end four to tight end 16 and stack the chips and keep moving on. So yeah, I know I said a bunch of things right there. Did that get your minds going? Any other things that we forgot to talk about with the dynasty strategy stuff? Hmm. No, I think that's pretty good. I think, I think we're, we're, we're pretty, uh, pretty aligned with those things there. I'm good, man. We got the first dog appearance for the podcast. So <laughs> you're definitely say, leaving exactly. that in. My, she's my, very, she's very excited about episode she's 50. Missing out, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Cheering for us here. Well, hopefully we did a good job. Like I said, we've never done a show like this with barely any real queued up player talk. It all just kind of came naturally. So cheers to uh, the first 50 and cheers to the next 50. My exactly. On to the second half. Let's go. So getting out of here for today. This is the Dynasty Dynamic. You stay classy, Dynasty Leaguers. Thanks for tuning in. 
Milk was a bad choice.